I'm Brian Whitson. Some of you all might not know me, so I want to introduce myself. And I'm a doctor, but I'm not a real doctor. I'm an MD, as opposed to Dr. Bob, who is a PhD. And, you know, there's always a little bit of tension between MDs and PhDs, uh, and who's really the real doctor or not. Um, but let me tell you, when I get in this pulpit, I'm not a real doctor, okay? So I want you all to know that up front. Um, also, I wanted to welcome a few people. I, I made the announcement in my office that I'm preaching, and so uh, the Wilsons came, and, and Audrey's overjoyed to be here because she gets to sit with Jenna. And they're in the same class together. And also, Robin, we've worked together for a long time, and she brought her mom, who's a precious sister, Miss Pat, in the Lord, and I'm glad she's here. And then my, my sister-in-law, Susan, drove all the way to Michigan to hear me. She's like, yeah, I'm here to hear you. So anyway, um, appreciate you all being here. And uh, bear with me. I am not a public speaker, and I am not a theologian. Um, and when I get to prepare for these sermons, uh, you know, I think it's good to do that once a year. I think that's all that let me do it uh, because it reminds me of how difficult job and, and just the gravity of, of standing behind this pulpit uh, and bringing God's word to you. So, um, so I got this sermon. You know, when when we heard that Pastor Bob was going to be gone, um, I had uh, already picked uh, uh, a sermon. I'm always listening to sermons uh, on the radio or on my iPad, whatever. And at the beginning of the year, I was I was looking for something spiritual to go along with New Year's resolutions or goals. And uh, I found so I'm you know searching on the internet and the sermon pops up with MacArthur and I'm a big MacArthur fan and so we'll listen to that and uh, so that's where I got my idea for this um, and uh, uh, and I'm not advocating I'm, we're not talking about New Year's re- resolutions or goals we're not talking about losing weight um, but um, uh, what MacArthur said is we need to constantly be reorienting our, reorienting our mind and uh, uh, there's two points that we're going to look at. Um, and the world, you know, seeks to define us in different ways. And the way I came up with that weird sermon title is, you know, you are, in fact, I Google, ask Google, put you are in to watch to see what all came down, you know, on the drop bar. And uh, it said, uh, you are who you hang around with. All right. Uh, you are what you eat, uh, which that would not make me a good person. Um, <laughs> my wife will testify to that. Uh, you are what you want to be, all right? Uh, it says you are what you pretend to be. Uh, you are what you are. Just, it is what it is, right? Um, um, but anyway, you know, really, when it comes down to things, you are what you think you are uh, of yourself and, uh, and what that, those thoughts play out in your actions. That makes up really who you are. The world... It's interesting. Uh, the world defines itself in different ways. You know, usually it's your occupation that defines you. You know, and that could be a teacher or a mom or or uh, a pilot. It could be a bunch of different um, occupations. I love when I'm driving around. I don't know if you all, but I love to look at window stickers. You know, because people put window stickers to kind of define who they are. Some of them I can't repeat here, obviously. Um, but, you know, especially the young guys, you know, they'll have... You know, they'll be up there in a stand, and you got the bow, and they're getting ready to shoot a deer, or they'll have a big, you know, rack of uh, antlers uh, uh, sticker. 
uh, or um, I can think of the sticker where the guy's uh, a high lineman, you know, hanging electricity wires. Um, um, uh, you know, and our culture defines itself in, in, in the last several years kind of in different ways. Um, and there's some confusion and delusions. Uh, and you look at, you know, they define themselves based on their sexual preference or their gender or, or, or um, even... Um, um, you know, I don't know if you all, some of you older people not, might not know about furries. Uh, furries are people that think that they're a cat or a dog or and they're schools that have like litter boxes. Um, that's not around here. I don't think Timberlake has that, I bet. So, uh, but it's just interesting. Uh, and the world tries to define us too um, and try to push us into their mold. And we really have to to resist that, and we have to continually reorient ourselves, and so we need to, to think about our, our perspective of our, of our lives, ourselves. Uh, so I'm going to give you two points this morning, uh, only two, and so the first thing is remember who owns you. Remember who owns you. Christ purchased us, and there's several verses to go along with that. In 1 Corinthians 6.20, it says, you were bought... At a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. In 1 Corinthians 7, it says, You are bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. 2 Peter 2 1 says, They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. And then Revelation 5 9. Uh, says that in they sang a new song saying you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Another word that that is used on this how we become the Lord's is redeemed or redemption and uh, my junior high class I apologized to them last week because I've been kind of teaching through this this sermon all all month long and I told them the story of course they, they looked at me like not re- you didn't really do this but but when we were little kids in elementary school I think even in junior high before I could drive you know you had your bicycle and that was your motor transportation but you could drive around the neighborhood and you could pick up pop bottles right and some of those pop bottles I mean I think some of them were worth a quarter which doesn't sound like much today but if you collected enough of those you could go to the local quick trip those are those are in Tulsa. Those those are kind of like a uh, uh, non queue or something like that. But anyway, you could take those and get an icy or a pop or something. Um, so this redemption is much more than that, and we'll define that here. In Luke one sixty eight, it says, "Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because He has come to His people and redeemed them." Galatians three thirteen, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Galatians 3.14 says, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. In 1 Peter 1.18-19, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed, from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So let's dissect this verse a little bit. Um, the scripture reminds us first that we need redeemed. So what does that mean? Well, it means, I hate to say this, guys, but we're sinners. 
And there's several verses to go along with that. I'm just going to read a few to you. Uh, for all have sinned, this is Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. What's the result of that sin? Romans 5.12, therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin in this way, death came to all, the emphasis all people because all sinned. In addition, I think we need to define ourselves before redemption that we are actually enemies of God. And there's verses for this too. Romans 5.10, for, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. James 4.4 4 says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Then we're reminded that we go on in this verse, this verse in 1 Peter, of the cost of our redemption, and it's Christ's precious blood. Um, The mention, Christ's blood is more than just his life uh, substance, the blood that we all have within our bodies. Uh, Last week we took communion to remember that blood, but it's much more than that. It really, that term, the precious blood, talks about his sacrifice um, and encapsulates his being as the perfect, unblemished, sinless son of God. He lived a perfect life, delivered himself willingly to be tortured, and suffered the most excruciating form of execution ever formulated by man by bleeding and suffocating to death. He was buried, and as he foretold, he rose again on the third day. By his sacrifice of suffering and dying, he paid the penalty we deserve because of our sin. The word redeemed literally means to be ransomed, and that's where I wanted to talk about this redeem. If you could have a picture of a person on a slave block and they have no control of their life, they've been passed around, uh, and they are slaves, and we're slaves to sin before we are redeemed by God. And Jesus paid the price to take us off that slave box uh, with his life. And so that's, that's what redemption looks like. Also, in that day, redemption talked about prisoners of war, and so they would, you know, a king would have a sum of money and pay the ransom to get his warriors back to him. And those are pictures of what redemption looks like. So redeemed is, is one of the things. Remember who purchased you. Um, the point number two is recommit to obedience. Let's re-look at a couple of verses we've already looked at today. First Corinthians 6.20, remember it says you were bought at a price, but then it goes on to say, therefore, honor God with your bodies. Also in 1 Corinthians 7.23, we read that. You were bought with a price, but it says, Do not become slaves of human beings. Key first I want to look at on this point is also going back to 1 Peter. Uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And it reads, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the province of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have become chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, 
through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. This letter uh, was a letter from uh, the Apostle Peter to several of the churches in Asia Minor. And I think we need to remember that it was written when there was just an intense amount of persecution. Uh, Nero was the emperor of the Roman Empire. And although uh, most of the persecution was probably centered mainly in Rome, but it was starting to spread across the other countries that were part of that uh, Roman Empire. Um, I want us to port, point, it, point to, uh, us toward the statement where we use the O word, okay, obedience. And uh, I want to give, you know, if you look at, I was uh, getting my hair cut the other day, and uh, uh, there's a magazine called Outdoor Life. In fact, I think that was a magazine the Boy Scouts uh, used to look at, and uh, I think they had uh, an ad for chewing tobacco or something in there, and there's this big Surgeon General's warning, you know, warning this can be hazardous to your health, and so I want to make a warning here. I am not in any form or fashion uh, implying that we are saved by works. So when we talk about obedience, don't think that in the, in the least. But it seems like we don't talk much about obedience. Um, and I don't know why that is. I was kind of thinking about that while I was putting this together. I think a lot of it is, is I think we stray uh, from this word because we don't want to uh, become legalistic and think that we are saved in any regards to works. Uh, but obedience is an important part of the Christian walk. Um, and that segment there that we just read in First Peter, it talks, it talks about the use of the sprinkling of his blood. And this is a unique uh, place in the New Testament. This is only mentioned in one other uh, verse or two in Hebrews. But otherwise, it's not mentioned. Usually when you talk about Christ's blood, you see um, it's washed or you're covered, uh, but you have this sprinkling. And so I wanted to, this, this means a little bit different, and I thought it was interesting to read. Uh, so this actually, you have to go back to Exodus to really understand the context of this. And if you go to uh, Exodus 24, verses 1 through 8, Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, Everything the Lord has said... We will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men's, men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls, and the other half he splashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And so in those days, if you made a, a promise or an agreement, um, um, there, that was usually sealed with blood. And so when we see this sprinkling of blood... This is a reference to 
our pledge to Jesus that we are going to obey you. Um, so when we are born again, Jesus becomes more than a savior to us. In fact, we become his servant. Uh, a term used often when Paul was writing his letters, he often would say, Paul, a servant. Uh, and it wasn't just because he was an apostle. No, that was because he was a follower of Jesus. Another word, word that might be used is disciple. Uh, and the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible had this to say about discipleship. It says, although discipleship was a voluntary initiative with other types of master-disciple relationships in the first century, with Jesus, the initiative lay with his call and his choice of those who would be his disciples. The response to the call involves recognition and belief in Jesus' identity. Obedience to his summons and counting the cost of full allegiance to him. His call is the beginning of something new. It means losing one's old life and finding a new life in the family of God through obeying the will of the Father. Os Guinnix has a book called The Call. And uh, aside from the Bible, um, I think it was one of the more impactful books uh, in my life. I... Uh, um, um, uh, was a relatively new believer. I've been in church all my life, and that's, I won't tell you my whole testimony. Uh, but in our Tuesday morning's men's group, we read that, and it really uh, brought home to me uh, the importance of our call on our lives. And they really talk about a twofold call. So there's the primary call where God calls them to Himself to be reconciled to Him. But then there's a second call, and that's how we live that call out in everyday life, in obedience to him. Um, Jesus had much to say about obedience. In Matthew 28, 18-20, what we call the Great Commission, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He calls his disciples who had agreed to follow him and to go and do likewise, make more disciples who would follow him as well. Luke eleven twenty seven through 28 says, As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth, and he replied, Blessed Rather, are those who hear the word of God and obey it. John eight fifty one says, Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. John fourteen twenty three, Jesus replies, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and he will come to them and make our home with them. Jesus in his priestly prayer, so this is in John's Gospel, uh, verse 17. He says, I have revealed to those, he's praying to God for his disciples. I have revealed to those whom he gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Matthew 5:19. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly, will be least in the kingdom of God, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And I just want to mention on the side that this obedience 
is not drudgery. You know, when you're born again and you're made a new person, you're given the Holy Spirit. And you do it because you love Him. You're, you're grateful for what Jesus has done in your life. And again, that Spirit kindles that attitude within you. Uh, John fourteen fifteen says, If you love me, keep, you'll keep my commandments. And then John, John fourteen twenty one says, Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And then John, uh, 2 John 1, 6 says, And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. So we just have to remember that uh, we're born again, and we have the Holy Spirit within us to give us wisdom and power and discernment, equipping us and giving us that desire to follow Jesus' commands on our life. Uh, an example I often use, I don't think I've used it in here, but I've used it a lot in my class, is um, the life cycle of salmon. I think it so much mirrors the Christian life, and you're going to look like, how could this be? And so, yeah, bear with me. Um, I think it's interesting, too. Um, I don't know if you, any of you all have seen The Chosen, uh, but the introduction has those fishes going around, and then there's one fish that's got a different color going the opposite direction, and I'm like, that's my salmon right there. But uh, anyway, I've, I've, I've had the privilege of taking s- several trips to Alaska, and we take these trips where we go off in the middle of nowhere, we float a river, and you get to see the salmon migration. And if you understand the salmon, uh, the life cycle of the salmon, so a salmon hatches in these little itty-bitty streams, and they come out as fry, they make their way out to the ocean, and they spend most of their life out in ocean feeding and growing and getting bigger. And just, just on the side, most of the salmon you eat is not coming from fresh water. They're, they're out in the salt water. Uh, when they hit fresh water, so they're, they're on a, their, their main goal in life is to get back and right, reproduce themselves, just like we're supposed to reproduce ourselves, right? And so they work their way back, and uh, it's interesting when they hit fresh water, they start to change. And so you've seen some of those pictures where they get that jowl that comes out and the hump on their back, and they really look kind of angry, uh, ugly. They don't look like a normal fish. Well, that doesn't happen till they hit fresh water again. And uh, But anyway, if you watch, and, and when we were at these campsites, sometimes we were camping by a stream that's maybe two or three inches deep. And these salmon, their backs are, some of them are eight to ten inches long. And so you can watch them swimming right past you. And they're, they're taking, making great effort. And they're going to get back all the way back to the very place where they were hatched. And this is just a few miles inland from the ocean. Some of these are hundreds of miles from the ocean that they're swimming upstream. And, you know, the, the analogy of the Christian life is, is, is when you uh, accept Christ, when Christ uh, puts his spirit in you and you're born again, uh, don't think life's going to be easy because now all of a sudden we're turning around and we're facing the current of the world. And what's our goal in life? Well, our goal is to, to swim upstream against a lot of hardship and reproduce ourselves. Um, you know, and the interesting thing is, is, is uh, after they make their nest in the gravel and they lay their eggs, they, they're there for a while, but remember, they're dying along this process, and they die shortly after that. They, they give their life to reproduce themselves, just as we are. Um, so just, um, just a reminder, uh, again, uh, as, we, as the world tries to mold us into its own image, 
is remember these points that I've, I've left with you today. Just to, to remember whose you are, who bought you. And the thing, second thing is, is we have to constantly recommit, reaffirm our obedient, obedience to our master. Um, I know there's several people in here that are walking with the Lord and have walked with the Lord a long time. Uh, Karen and I's testimony is we sat in churches uh, for decades, and uh, the Lord saved us out of that. And, uh, you know, the funny thing is you would have asked me along the way, uh, are you a Christian or are you a believer? I'd say, oh, yeah, of course I am. But uh, now I know that uh, I wasn't the Lord's. And so, um, you know, if there's people in here that are not sure uh, whether uh, the Lord is their uh, master, their Lord, and uh, their Savior, please come see me or one of the other elders. We want to make sure that nobody leaves here today without knowing that for sure. Uh, Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you uh, this morning. I thank you uh, for your words. And, uh, Father, we thank you for your tremendous sacrifice, how you purchased us with your blood. And, uh, Father, that you've made us your own. You've given your given your spirit to us to equip us, enable us to follow you. Uh, We praise you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.